Welcome to the CND podcast. I'm Naima Kalachand and I'm the clinical editor. For this week's podcast, I spoke to GP Dr. Tony Hazel about the relationship between pharmacists and GPs and how GPs have engaged with pharmacists during the pandemic. I just thought it would be good to chat to you about a GP's perspective um, on what's happening with coronavirus at the minute and kind of talk about the relationships between GPs and pharmacists at the minute. So how have GPs engaged with community pharmacists during this time in your experience? Well, we have quite a close relationship with our local community pharmacists anyway. We have a pharmacy within our surgery and we have several more locally that some of our patients use and we, we speak to them all the time. I think patients are going to their pharmacists with questions about coronavirus, about shielding, about their drugs and so on. And some of those the pharmacists are able to deal with directly and some of them they are coming to speak to us about either directing the patient to us or or sometimes ringing us on behalf of the patient. Um, So we're engaging with them in that way. And then, of course, there's all the usual stuff that we always talk to our community pharmacists about, which is continuing in the same way, because obviously we've got to try and keep normal general practice going as much as we can. It's good that you're working together. Have you any anecdotes of like a working relationship you have with any pharmacists at the minute? Yeah, so um, I think One of the massive issues lately has been this issue of shielding. And there's been quite a lot of confusion about who needs to shield, which is to stay indoors 100% of the time for 12 weeks, and who doesn't. Lots of patients are ringing us about it. And also lots of patients are asking the pharmacist about it. And in some cases, the pharmacist is just double checking with us and then going back to the patient. Also, some of our pharmacists are being proactive so if they have a patient to whom they dispense immunosuppressants and the patient doesn't seem to be shielding then they might ask us whether the patient needs to shield so that's probably been something particularly when when we've been communicating a lot with our local pharmacists. And could you maybe just kind of talk me through the kind of patients that should be shielded at the minute? Yeah so this has been this has been a really difficult issue um, for the last couple of weeks because there's been an awful lot of confusion so it is the most highest risk of patients so a lot of patients are ringing us up and saying well I'm vulnerable why don't I need to shield and you could have say a 90 year old woman with Parkinson's um, asthma high blood pressure heart disease and she probably wouldn't be on the shielding list she would be in the moderate risk list so I think it's quite understandable why people find it difficult to understand the shielding group is a small group who would be at very, very high risk of significant, potentially fatal complications if they contracted coronavirus. So, for example, people who have had a transplant and are therefore immunosuppressed due to drugs, people who are having chemotherapy now or have had chemotherapy recently within the last few months up to the last year, um, people who are on immunotherapy drugs for their cancer, and some people who are on immunosuppressant drugs for other reasons, such as for rheumatoid arthritis. But within that last group, if as a patient you're otherwise well and your rheumatoid is well controlled on one or sometimes two drugs, then sometimes you don't need to shield. It's quite an individual decision for the patients who are immunosuppressed due to drugs, so it can be quite tricky. And then within the group of patients who need to shield because of a respiratory condition, it's really only the most severely affected patients. So for asthma... They have to be either taking regular oral steroids or to have had four courses of oral steroids in the last six months of 2019. 
or to be taking a biologic drug, those patients will always be under secondary care. And for COPD, it's patients who are on a triple inhaler. So that's a LABA and a LAMA and an inhaled steroid. So lots and lots of patients with asthma and COPD don't need to shoot. What about the patient you kind of described there that, you know, thought that they were vulnerable, but they're not technically on the shielded list? What kind of advice could we be giving those patients then whenever they come to us worried about, you know, being vulnerable? Absolutely. So these conversations have been, I've, I've had a lot of these conversations and they have been quite difficult because it can make a patient feel that we're not taking them seriously, which is not at all the intention, obviously. So what I tend to say to patients is that the government has divided the population into three groups of people. You have the um, the general public who are at low risk of coronavirus complications. So that is anyone who's under 70 and is otherwise fit and well with no chronic conditions. Then at the top end, you have this very small group, which I've already talked about, which is at a very high risk, and they should shield, which means not leaving the house 100% unless you have to for a medical appointment for 12 weeks. And that's quite a significant intervention that I think does carry risks to your physical and your mental health, staring at the same four walls for 12 weeks. And then there is a massive group in the middle, which is the moderate risk group. And that is essentially anyone who is 70 or over and who doesn't fit the shielding criteria and anyone who has any sort of chronic health condition. So by and large, it would be those who are normally offered a flu vaccination on the NHS. And this group should do what the government calls stringent social distancing. So I would usually just say to people, you need to do the same social distancing that everyone else does, but you need to be a bit more careful about it. So you really need to not go out unless it's absolutely necessary. But you don't need to stay in 100% of the time. So if you find that you're climbing the walls, going nuts at home, it's absolutely fine to go for the odd walk, but just stay in as much as you possibly and now I think we'll move on to talk about uh, virtual clinics and what you've been doing at the GP surgery. So I know um, some pharmacies have stopped doing some of their clinics due to social distancing. But, you know, is this an area we could explore and do more things virtually? You know, how have they been working for GPs? Yeah, so it's been really it's been really interesting. Um, and, you know, generally the pace of change of technology and things in the NHS is glacially slow. But this pandemic has been going on for a couple of months and suddenly we have outpatient appointments being done by phone and in general practice we're speaking to almost everyone on the phone and we now have video calls, which is absolutely fantastic. That's really useful. So I find that in an average day I might speak to anywhere between 30 and 50 patients and I'm only seeing certainly less than five of them face to face. So some patients, it can be dealt with on the phone, particularly if it's an administrative issue or a repeat prescription or something like that. And then some patients, you just want to eyeball them. You just want to see that they look okay. You don't necessarily need to feel their tummy or listen to their chest, but seeing them is incredibly useful. So the video calls are very useful for that. Um, And then there are a few patients who you need to bring in. And I really do want to get the message out there that GPs are not closed because What concerns me is that I'm not seeing all the usual stuff that I should be seeing. I'm not seeing breast lumps and postnatal depression and belly pain and chest pain and all the usual pathology hasn't gone away. So that really does worry me. And for the first time last week, I saw someone 
who had a flare of a chronic disease and he'd been sitting at home with this flare gradually getting worse for four weeks and he was quite sick he needed to go into hospital pretty much straight away and I suspect if it hadn't been for coronavirus he might have come in earlier so that is a really important message that if you think you are ill then please do ring your GP because even though we're doing things differently we're still doing things. Yeah, that is very worrying. And I'm sure the same can go for pharmacists who are probably not seeing the same usual things that they see every day as well. Um, And people, you know, are, do you think post-coronavirus we will be um, continuing with virtual clinics and video calls um, to make things a bit easier for GPs and potentially is this something we could do for pharmacy? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely going to happen. So in my surgery, we moved in 2013 to triage all requests for GP appointments. So if you wanted a GP appointment, you had to speak to a GP first. And we did that largely because a lot of things were being booked into our appointments that weren't appropriate. So I had someone book, for example, a double appointment for their mother who didn't speak English. And we usually book double appointments for interpreters. Um, and it turned out she needed her passport form filling in. And we don't even do passport forms. So um, now if you want an appointment, you speak to a GP. And we've been making that work since 2013. And I think it's quite successful. Um, I'm noticing on the GP social media groups that I'm on that there is a massive demand for information um, and people do want to hear from those like us who've been doing this for a while as to how you make it work in normal times. So I don't think anyone will go back. And I was talking to a friend who's a hospital consultant and she said that she had been trying for five years to get some of her clinics to be on the phone because she manages a sort of chronic disease where she sees patients for their whole life. Many of her patients are working. Often it's quite a quick appointment, but they have to take a whole afternoon off work to come and sit in the waiting room. And she said, I've been trying to use do this for years and bang, coronavirus happens. And suddenly I can see patients on the phone and there is no way I'm going back afterwards. So yeah, I think we'll be using a lot more phone calls. We'll be using a lot of video calls. There are some circumstances in which you can't replace the personal touch. So, for example, the resolution on a video call for a rash is not fantastic. And I would normally either get them to send a photo, and if it wasn't for coronavirus, I would ideally like to see them face to face. Some things like mental health, actually, it's nicer to be able to sit down and see the person face to face because you do miss out on those nonverbal clues even on a video call. So I don't think we'll be seeing as few people as we are now, but I equally don't think we'll go back to how we were before. Yeah, and hopefully that will um, reduce a lot of pressure with waiting times on appointments and things like that as well. Um, So I wanted to ask you as well, so we've seen a lot of um, reports of people kind of panic ordering lots of prescriptions I think maybe more so at the start of kind of the the outbreak and um, at the start of lockdown and especially patients who potentially hadn't used their inhaler for years and they were requesting prescriptions I'm just wondering if you've if you've noticed this and if you've seen any you've noticed any stock shortages or uh, you know have you spoken to your pharmacist about um stock shortages yeah I've so I've had a lot of this and it it does I mean I understand that people are really stressed but it does give me a slightly wry smile when someone rings up terribly worried wanting a shielding letter for their asthma and you look back and you think that's the asthma for which you haven't had an inhaler in three years and you smoke 30 cigarettes a day and you've never had a flu jab. Um, but so one of the benefits are that this might make people take their health a little bit more seriously. So I am certainly keeping an eye. Our practice software, when we're doing the prescriptions, it does say when the last prescription was ordered. So if it looks like someone is stockpiling their inhalers, then we won't issue another one because obviously we don't want the same thing to happen as, happen as happen 
toilet roll where people can't get them. There was a, a problem right at the start of this when the message went out that patients with asthma should have rescue packs of antibiotics and steroids. I think it was one of the asthma charities or pressure groups that put that out. And we got a lot of phone calls about that. And really, it's only the patients with the severest of COPD who should be having rescue packs of inhalers and steroids. And it's only the patients for whom we've always prescribed that. I don't think we should be starting that new for patients at the moment, particularly as at the start, there was some doubt about how safe it was to use oral steroids in coronavirus. So Again, I'm having quite a lot of conversations to say, well, no, I'm not going to give you a rescue pack of inhalers and of steroids and antibiotics, not because I want to do you out of them. But actually, if you are bad enough that you need them, then I want to see you. I think you need to see a doctor. And I think when when things are explained, people understand there's a massive amount of misinformation about out there and confused information. And people are worried and scared. And if you've got the time to just explain things and explain the rationale behind your decisions then usually the patient will understand. Yeah. And it, it would be good if, you know, pharmacists and GPs are coming together to give out the same message to these patients yeah. so that, you know, so yeah. there's not a lot of misinformation and everybody's getting confused about everything. Absolutely. So I think if a patient asks the pharmacist for a rescue pack, what I would suggest is that ph- the pharmacist looks as to whether they normally have one. And if they normally have one, and they used it and they forgot to order another one, then yes, it's perfectly appropriate for them to have another one. But if they've never had it before, then the chances are they're not going to need another one now. And again, if they're ordering their inhalers, you know, at very close intervals, then you want to maybe delve down into a bit what's going on, particularly with the salbutamol. I think a lot of people do sometimes use salbutamol if they're anxious um, because the anxiety can manifest itself as shortness of breath. I am finding sometimes on phone calls, when I start the phone call, I'm really worried about the patient because they seem massively short of breath. And then actually, when you let them speak for two or three minutes, it calms down completely to normal. And I think some of that is sort of panic and anxiety. That was Dr. Tony Hazel speaking about how GPs and pharmacists have been collaborating over the last few weeks to ensure patients are receiving the most accurate information. To end this week's podcast, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Mohamed Mafuzur, who's a pharmacy manager for Asda Walmart. He shared with us a story about an anxious daughter who was trying to collect her mother's dementia medication. The pharmacy was very busy that day and the patient's daughter would have been waiting hours in the queue to get the prescription. Mohammed, recognising that she was very stressed and anxious, decided to prioritise dispensing the patient's mother's medication, saving her hours of time. She said, I wish I could hold your hand, but I can't for social distancing. But I can tell you what you've done today, no matter how small it sounds to you, it's something I'll remember as a COVID experience that's a great gesture from a healthcare manager. If you'd like to get in touch and share your stories of how community pharmacy teams are helping across the UK during the COVID-19 crisis, please fill in the form on our website and maybe you'll get a shout out in our next podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcasts on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thank you for listening.